Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. Good morning. It's the show here on KJZZ 91.5 in Phoenix. I'm Mark Brody. Coming up, how far can the Suns go in this year's NBA playoffs? And learning about brain evolution from a tiny sea creature that lived more than half a billion years ago. But first, it is time for the Friday Newscap and some voices from the news this week. The only thing that we have down here is our word and our, and our, uh, and our integrity. And when that is clearly... Uh, crossed, when, when, when you can no longer count on someone's word or integrity, they can no longer be an effective legislator. I stand on honesty and integrity. The report is a lie. They will perceive that they don't have a true voice in this body because when they elect somebody to rock the boat, and she does it about a blit in a, the wrong way, a way that should have been better considered, that, that member will be expelled. I think it just points up how important it is to have an attorney general who believes in and is acting to protect reproductive rights um, in in Arizona and I did that in the in the federal case in Washington as a principal I need to know who was carrying a weapon as an educator I know that guns do not belong in school under any circumstances we need leaders in this country that aren't too politically correct to protect us. And that's why I'm running for the United States Senate. And with me to talk about the expulsion of Representative Liz Harris, a new GOP candidate getting into next year's U.S. Senate race, and much more, are Doug Cole of High Ground. Good morning, Doug. Hey, good morning, Mark. And Democratic strategist Tony Connie. Hey there, Tony. Good morning. So let's start with Liz Harris. That was the big story uh, from yesterday. Doug, are you surprised that she actually got kicked out? No, I'm not. I mean... She barely got elected. She got elected. Uh, she beat Julie Willoughby by 270 votes. In fact, the uh, House held their speaker and leadership uh, elections after in, back in November to wait to see what the outcome of that race in LD13 mm. was going to be. Um, and, you know, she entered, you know, she, her fame is she did the canvassing, knocking door to door and asking voters if they really voted for Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And, uh, uh, you know, so she had that national election denier uh portfolio going that she ran on. And then she announced that she would not vote for make any vote on the floor until the 2022 election was redone, the election that she won. So no, I'm not surprised. And, and what what happened in this joint hearing uh, was 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 just terrible. And, you know, having been down there since the late 80s, never seen anything like it. And there should be consequences. And you know what, there were so the so for the only the third time since the late 80s as 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 one of the house as the house or the senate kicked one of their members out tony it seemed like the line that can't be crossed here is either and maybe it's both but either impugning specific members of your own party because the speaker that liz harris brought to this hearing mentioned that she believed that uh, ben Toma, the Speaker of the House, and Wendy Rogers, the leader of the Senate Election Committee, were part of this Sinaloan drug cartel bribery scheme, <laughs> yeah. and then lying about it. Like, is are, is that what we're learning here? That those are the lines you cannot cross? The precedent that they're setting, that they want us to think they're setting, I guess, is that if you arrange for 
false testimony to push a conspiracy theory, you can be expelled. Well, if that's actually the case, there's been two years of election denial, like fake stuff coming out of these committees. The line is that she embarrassed leadership. That's it. That's all that it is. The line here is that there – and, and what I mean is the line for expulsion. I think they would have been frustrated either way, maybe censure. But I was surprised that they, they took that step just because it didn't fit with some of the past actions that they've done for misbehavior in the Yeah, but she, but she also sat in front of the ethics committee and lied to them. Yeah, totally lied. Totally lied. I mean and, what a and, surprise. And, and, She's and, been lying and, and for two years. Yeah. And then she wins and she lies while in office? Oh, my gosh. What a shock. Well, how big of a deal was that, Doug? Because the, the committee had text messages between Representative Harris and the speaker. That mysteriously appeared on, on a House uh, lawyer's desk right. in an right. envelope. Right. But she admitted those were hers. But then in front of the committee, she's, she claimed that she had no idea that this is what the speaker was going to say. Like, I, I guess I, I don't understand why you would lie about something that is so easily refutable. I, I don't know either. <laughs> but, but you, you know, you have to give credit to, to Representative Chaplick, head, head of the member, you know, head of the uh, uh, ethics committee. Um, it did a very thorough job. And that's not, you know, you never want to be appointed to when the, when the speaker or the president comes to you and goes, hey, I want you to be head of the ethics committee. You should run for the door. <laughs> uh, but they did a thorough job. And so my hat's off because that's not an easy thing to do. And he ended up voting and against expulsion. And he ended up voted, voting against her because I think that, you know, he said that the, the full house needed to to take take some sort of action. Here's our report. It's up to you. I think he felt expulsion was was too harsh of a penalty. Doug, I'm curious what you make of what Tony had to say about, you know, the the narrative that some of the, some in the GOP want is that if you you know set up conspiracy theories in a committee, you'll be expelled. But at the time of the committee, many of the members of the joint committee were calling this particular speaker brave, and nobody really said anything when she was impugning Wendy Rogers and Ben Toma. Yeah, well, that's and and you know. Speaking of Wendy Rogers, I mean, after after the committee hearing and the fallout was coming, she immediately put out a press release saying, hey, nothing to see here, folks. I didn't yeah. do this. You know, move along. Um, and she did the right thing, whereas whereas uh, former Representative Harris just kept kept going on. In fact, when she was loading up her Tesla with the media there, she was saying, you know, the truth is on my side and don't take a picture of my, my license plate. <laughs> All right. So, Tony, now that the House is a Republican short, they clearly can't pass anything on party lines because mm-hmm. they don't have enough votes. So uh, spring break of the legislature. Yeah, all of a sudden they took a break because why would you try and work with Democrats? Why? Just, you know what, let's just shut things down because otherwise we can't get it done. And I'm so fascinated by the replacement process and how long it's going to take. And I think that's why they had to do the, you know, the recess. And I, I do think that there is some sweet karma about the fact that the ultimate deciders of who is going to be replacing Liz Harris are the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors who have been dealing with death threats and attacks and lies that have been generated because of the kind of things that Liz Harris is pushing. And so the LD, like the the, the political committee from where that she represents, right. is going to have to pick three names. And I don't know if they're going to pick three very, very conservative election-denying types or whether they're going to – I don't know. But ultimately, it's going to be the Board of Supervisors that picks it. Look, one of those three names could be Liz Harris. I mean, this could be Tennessee all over again, what we saw you know, a couple of weeks ago when, in, in Tennessee when they kicked out the two, right. the two Democrat members and, and, and the council in, in both Nashville and Memphis just uh, appointed them back. Uh, but unlike uh, there – 
ours get to serve until the next regular election. Those those folks in Tennessee have to run again. But but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who they who who they nominate. Um, you know, we already we've already seen you know, mentioned in the Washington Post of all places, Steve Yarbrough, the former Senate president, who longtime Chandler resident, longtime legislator. He's interested. We've seen. Um, Julie Willoughby, who lost by 270 right. votes. She came in third in that, in that yes, race. Yes, she came in third. Um, that, that, uh, that wasn't decided for a long time. We have also seen Nora Ellen, who is J.D. Mesnard, the senator from LD13's mother, who, former, who ran before. Who, yeah, yeah, former Chan- uh, Chandler Council member and ran before. So we're already seeing candidates step up. But they could, the, the PCs could put uh, Liz Harris back on there. And meaning that the the board would only have you know really two candidates to pick from, uh, but I'm I'm certain that they're just excited to interview all three candidates uh, because of the reasons that uh, my colleague over here Tony talked about, you know that these candidates and Liz Harris have spent their whole you know many people many people in that district uh, have spent their time attacking Jack Sellers who's the supervisor from there and the rest of the board. Not only death threats, they've had to move out of their houses right. and have had, had sheriffs follow them around. It's, you know, it's terrible. But, you know, uh, on Maricopa County's procedures is that Jack Sellers will have the lead um, and he will he will take the lead and, and work with the rest of his supervisors. And normally, like they're going to have to do with um, with uh, uh, Senator Tehran, who also resigned right. yesterday, to r- focus on uh, yeah, the run for Congress. Steve, Steve, Steve uh, Gallardo will will take the lead in, in from uh, Supervisor District Five. So the county's going to be really busy here in spring break for the next few <laughs> in weeks. In spring break for them, uh, yeah. Because uh, day for yesterday we had ninety members. Today we have eighty eight members. And Doug, we should point out that you do some work for for the county. I do. Do you have a sense of like are they? I would imagine they're aware of the irony that Tony talked about, but I would also imagine that they are going to want to do as professional a job as they can here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's been a lot of resignations and in, in having to fill uh, spots by this current, the members of this current board, they've done this frequently. But but the, the dynamic of replacing uh, an election denier uh, to to this extent, and the PCs tend to be in LD thirteen, uh, you know, pretty much MAGA Trump folks. It'll be interesting to see who they put up, and the the meetings I, I understand is going to happen probably as early as Monday. Okay, Tony, is there any? Are we naive to think that maybe legislative leadership will use this quote unquote spring break to try to make some progress on the budget? The one thing they are constitutionally required to do. I don't think that's naive. I think that they know that they need to come to some sort of an agreement with the governor to get this budget through. And, you know, maybe one thing that'll happen with this break is that with the theatrics put aside for the moment, they're going to be able to come together and at least find some decision points and some points of agreement. And so I'm optimistic. I know that the governor's team is working really hard to, to you know, get a budget resolution um, you know, uh, get the bu- budget resolved. And so hopefully, yeah, I hope so. Doug, you've been a part of these kinds of talks over the years. Um, should should we have hope that, that this week plus could be used in that way? Well, it, it, it would be a, a lost time if it doesn't get used that way, in my opinion. Um, it's always better to have, have, the the opportunity to focus on on that task and not having all the other things going on while sessions going on every day it's very distracting so um they you know that's the one thing they have to do is pass a budget so i think uh 
the table's been set. I think they're, they're getting a better rhythm on how to work with each other. Is it perfect? No. Um, you know, the governor's uh, uh, veto number and her sign number finally switched the uh, last couple of days uh, because her, her record was having vetoed more bills than she signed. Now right. she has signed more bills than she's vetoed. So, uh, but, you know, she's going to continue to veto. She's, on, she's getting close to Janet Napolitano's uh, record of 58 one session. I think we're at 48 right now. Um, but, you know, they, they've got – luckily there's a lot of money to spread around uh, to make folks feel good about voting for something. But everybody's going to have to give – you know, give it the office here and, and hold their nose and do something, you know, and, and, and um, you know, push, push their green button for stuff that they don't want. This is split government. This is what the voters have given us. And we got they got to figure it out. All right. More of the conversation in just a moment. That is Doug Cole also here with Tony Connie. I'm Mark Brody in Phoenix. So, Tony, I'll start with you on a uh, story about internal Republican politics, something I love to do here. <laughs> um, Mark Lamb, Pinal County Sheriff, announced this week that he is running for U.S. Senate next year. Um, this is Kirsten Cinema's seat. We have heard rumblings that she is preparing to run as an independent. Ruben Gallego, of course, is already in as a Democrat. How does Mark Lamb's entrance into this race shift things, even at this early stage, if it does? Well, I think th- I think that the the idea that Carrie Lake may run has frozen a lot of the more conservative members of the Republican Party. Um, from announcing, but Mark Lamb was like, "I'm I'm jumping in anyway," which you know, which I think makes sense. You might as well carve that space out for yourself. But I do think that it is going to, when you're making a decision about whether or not you're going to run, you're looking at the field to see, do I have a path? Do I have a path? And so I do think that his inclusion and the idea that I assume Carrie Lake is probably going to announce, since she's not going to be governor, no matter how hard she tries or pretends that she will be, uh, I think it's going to. I think it's going to have a freeze impact on 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 some of these other folks. Doug, if Carrie Lake gets in, that's a really interesting primary between Carrie Lake and Mark Lamb. It would seem as though they're kind of in, if not the same lane, really like lane two lanes next to each other. Well, we'll see a lot of the video from from the uh, uh, Senate audit hearings of, of the two of them sitting next to each other, uh, <laughs> rallying up the, the 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 vote denier crowd. Uh, but it's all going to come down to one thing for Mark Lamb, and that's money. Um, can he raise uh, the amount of money it takes? And it's, you know, back back when I started this business, it was a million dollars, and and everyone was was stunned at that for for both candidates. Now it's hundred million dollars for both candidates. So, uh, can you raise that money? Are you viable? He does have you know a national presence. Uh, you know, he has he has the best hat of, of any Senate candidate, <laughs> candidate. That's a wonderful, expensive Stetson. Ha- and having grown up in Pinal County, you know, he's he, they love him down there. Um, but does that translate? Um, and is his message too close to what Carrie Lake brings? And, you know, and her, obviously, her visibility is a lot higher. So can he break through that? We'll have to wait and see. And we'll see, you know, if, if someone else gets in there, it even harms him maybe more because, you know, she's the 300, 300 pound weight in, in that election him. She has her very strong supporters that will support her no matter what. Right. Tony, do you think that you mentioned that the Kerry Lake factor is sort of freezing other candidates getting in? Does that also potentially freeze donors donating to somebody like Sheriff Lamb? Yeah, there is, especially the big dollar folks, there's always a lot of behind the scenes politics about where where you're going to get these big donors to give to you. And, you know, that happens. It's, It's happening in 
the other Senate race too, like you know, on the Democratic side. Like there are people who are waiting to see whether or not they should write a check or not, including people who are like, hey, listen, I am with you, but I need to wait until X happens. And so it's going to be – I mean and we're, that's why this all starts so early now is because there's so, you have to raise so much money and it is uh, you know, a real challenge to, to do it when you've never done it before. If it is – let's say that it is uh, Mark Lamb against Ruben Gallego, which mm-hmm. who knows? I mean it's way too early. Who do you think wins that race? You know, the polling right now, and it's so early, it does show that the Republican candidates are routinely showing up in third of in this race. We, assuming that cinema is Assuming also that in. cinema is involved. I and and I think the, the the challenge that Republicans have in Arizona is their brand is very hurt by Kerry Lake and the audit before it and all these continued things that are going on. And I do think that unless they find a way to solve that problem, I think that the Democrats got a chance when they otherwise wouldn't, that Ruben Gallego does. And I do not see with the contested primary that they're going to suddenly be more moderate and not do the exact same thing that they did in the the gubernatorial primary. And so I think that there's going to be a mad dash to the right. And that's going to be the dynamic that we're seeing going into the general. Well, Doug, that's kind of been the narrative, right, for the for the state GOP since the at least since last year's election with Kerry Lake beating Karen Taylor Robeson in the gubernatorial primary. Is there room for a Karen Taylor Robeson, Doug Ducey type, not necessarily them, but somebody more of a quote unquote mainstream establishment, maybe a non-MAGA Republican to get into that race and actually win the primary? Well, if it's one on one with Kerry Lake, yes. Okay, but we now now we already we have Mark Lamb in the race, so and who knows whoever who who else might jump into this race? You know, a, a, a no name candidate, but they draw off votes. So um, you know, I would always want to have again a head to head in in the primary. But there's a lot of healing. I have to agree with my colleague Tony. There's a lot of healing that needs to go on and redirection in the Republican Party if they're going to be successful in these type of races. All right. So, Doug, let me ask you about the review from uh, former Supreme Court Justice Ruth McGregor that was released this week. Again, pointing out that you you work with Maricopa County. I do. Basically, this was looking at the printer problems at vote centers. And what McGregor and her team concluded is that this wasn't anything nefarious, that there were some printers that didn't perform as maybe they should have, and maybe the county should have done a little bit better testing, maybe more testing ahead of time. Does this put any of the, the conspiracy theories to rest, do you think? Um, I think that the people that were were questioning what really went on, I think that that, that brings some closure to it. But to the election deniers, absolutely not. It, it's they, they have they have their narrative and they're always going to go with it. But you couldn't have had a more thorough uh, investigation with someone that has just impeccable credentials, and that's Ruth McGregor. Um, she did, uh, you know, what they found out is the longer ballot. Uh, they they increased it by an inch. They went to the hundred pound paper because the because Sharpie Gate. Mm-hmm. And when they did the stress testing on the printers, they ran the printers for long periods of time, which is not real life. What real life is, the printers run a couple ballots and they're off for 15, 20, maybe a half hour and they cool off. And anybody who knows about printer technology, you got the toner's got to get really hot to, mm-hmm. to, to adhere you know, the, you know, the image to the paper. So that's what it wasn't getting hot enough on these smaller printers. The bigger printers were working just fine. It was the smaller printers. So Maricopa County's going to have to make some decisions, you know, about, okay, maybe we go back to the 80-pound paper. Um, 
Maybe we go to two pages, but nobody wants to go to two pages because someone always forgets to put the other page in or vote it. So there's just a lot of questions, um, and, and the county uh, will have a great team with Scott Jarrett and, and Stephen Richard and, and, and the professionals down there. They'll figure it out, and I, the county will, will expend the resources needed if these pl- printers need to be all replaced. I'm sure that the, the board will seriously consider to do that. Yeah, Tony, it will be interesting that some of the folks – with the county have said, you know, check out our budget proposal. You'll see sort of how we're planning to respond to this. I would imagine that this is not going to be an inexpensive thing to fix. No, but there, but there's, but our democracy is important, and so we have to spend money on the tools and equipment that that makes it so that our votes can be counted and there aren't these problems. Because look, all the votes, I think that all the court cases have shown the votes that they were having, you know, trouble run through the. The, the, the system, they ended up being counted, right? The system itself is designed to handle mistakes and problems. That is what's so great about it. And so this is going to be another step that they're going to take to make sure that things uh, go faster. They don't want problems at the polls again. They don't. And, and, and so I'm optimistic they'll get the right fix. Tony, let me ask you about uh, some news we heard this week from the DCCC, the organization working to elect Democrats to Congress. They are targeting uh, in Arizona CD1, which is the David Schweiker district, and CD6, the Juan Siscomani district, uh, coming up next year. Schweiker, it seems, has been seen as vulnerable for quite some time, and we've seen a number of Democrats talking about getting into that race or actually getting into that race. Is that is that one that next year could actually be a flip? I think so with the right candidate who – and what I mean by that is that like Schweiker, that guy runs tough campaigns. He runs like – just to be blunt, very dirty campaigns. He's an aggressive campaigner. And the Democrat that takes him on is going to need to be aggressive and is going to need to – be willing to throw a political punch. And so that's one thing I'm looking at when I'm trying to figure out who I think would be the right candidate. But that district is a district that in redistricting we knew was leaning Republican but would become more Democrat over time Mm -hmm. and especially in a presidential election. I think the thing I look about, you know, just from a pure math perspective, if Trump is on the ballot as the presidential nominee, I think it's going to be an easier pickup opportunity for Democrats than if he's not. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff going to play out. But it, it, either way, I think it would be extraordinarily close. Doug, what do you think? I mean, as Tony said, and, and sort of the conventional wisdom is that over the 10 years that this district is a district with these lines, it will trend more Democratic. Is it trending Democratic enough now? Well, it again, I, it is after redistricting. Um, it's it's more of a purplish district. It's not the bright, bright red that, that – uh, Congressman Schweikert is used to running in, but he he is a tough campaigner, and he he has a national donor base that he can tap into, and again, it's going to come down to money. Uh, that's a you know that's a, a pretty soft stocking district up there in in uh, north in uh, the north you know, east part north of yeah, Scottsdale, North, north Scottsdale yeah. northeast part of the valley. So. Um, He's a hard worker, but with the I agree with the right candidate, he could he could uh, be facing the most serious challenge that he's had, and he's had some pretty close races. Which, which of the two of the Schweikert and Siskamani districts do you think would be harder for Democrats to flip next year? Again, all the variables who's on who the candidates are, who's on top of the ticket, all that sort of put aside for a moment. I, I think the Southeast District, Siskamani's district, is harder for Democrats harder, to flip. Yeah. Tony, do you agree with that? I don't know. I mean, it comes. I it, I think it's it's tough. I mean, I I think that the the southeast district, probably demographically, 
we have a better shot at. But the question is, when it comes to candidate quality, Siskamani um, is a good sort of retail campaigner. He is going to get called out for not taking stands against some of these more extreme things uh, that he's sort of hiding on, especially with abortion. And so, boy, I'm on the fence, but I... Uh, I, I might have the opposite opinion, but it's really close. <laughs> All right. So, guys, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about the Suns. I know you guys are both basketball fans. Do the Suns win win the West this year, Doug Cole? I, my heart says I hope so, uh, but my gut says not. All I right. absolutely refuse to answer this question. <laughs> I am one of the most superstitious <laughs> sports fans that are out there. I have d- delivered a message to the governor's office and my friends in the legislature that they should not do anything that will jinx us. Uh, and so I don't know whether that's a good use of my time, but I certainly have delivered that message. I retract the question. Then. I <laughs> Thank apologize. You. That is Democratic strategist Tony Connie, Doug Cole of High Ground. Guys, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Mark. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.